I simply don't know anybody else like you. I, I mean, there's just not even a, a beginning of comparison. There is no one like our God. We have no friend like you. Who else would, knowing the worst about us, still love us and be patient towards us and give us grace and care and kindness and suffer on our behalf so that we could be changed and transformed and turned into your sons and daughters. There's nobody like you. There's nobody else that begins to compare to our King and our Lord and our God and our friend, the one who loves our very souls, God. So God, we will pour out our praise and we will never, ever, ever stop singing our praises to you for you are a good God. Lord, thank you for your presence and for your power. Thank you for your word right now as we enter into it and we learn from you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the God who speaks to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all together we said, amen. Praise God. Grab a seat, everybody. Oh, it's good to be in the presence of God. So I think it's, uh, it's an American phrase, calling an audible, right? That's a phrase, right? Calling an audible. So Pastor Wally and myself, we've just, we just said, we just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We want to call an audible. So this isn't a program thing, or we do this every month. Uh, and what it is simply is, man, we, we need the church to pray. And so this upcoming Wednesday, Pastor Wally and I, we just felt the Holy Spirit nudging us. So invitation to all and everybody. Uh, we did this uh, maybe a few months ago, and I'm not joking. It was such a rich, rich time. So this upcoming Wednesday evening in this room right here, we're just going to be on our faces, on our knees in prayer together. I want to invite you all there. Today we wrap up week number four of Sticks and Stones. I think we've had just a wonderful time in the Word of God. We have discovered that this thing right here is probably the most untamable part of our body. Our mouths, out of control, and uh, it really seems to get us into trouble. So the question is, how's that going for you? How's your mouth doing? Because uh, I think we've been confronted by some great truth, and I've heard some really great stories coming back of people saying, man, I've opened my mouth, and now what's coming out, what's pouring out of my mouth is words that's actually giving life and building people up and affirming and encouraging, sometimes hard conversations, but good conversations, loving conversations in a way that perhaps I think people are saying, I, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't going there. I wasn't speaking like that. So it's so exciting to see the work of the Holy Spirit in a very practical way um, coming out of our lives. And then the opposite, I've had so many people say, man, I've got the security check now. I've got this guard who's at the gate and I, I know what I, I would typically go to say, and sometimes it's anger, or it's swearing, or it's lying, or it's gossip, or it's negative, or it's critical, and it's like, wait a second. And, and here's the thing, it's like, I don't even want to talk like that. I, I genuinely don't want to. And the Holy Spirit's just helping us, I think, put a guard on that, and so we got some new, fresh words that are building people up. We also learned that we need to treat each and every conversation as if it is a construction site, and our words are the building materials. Literally, when you walk up to somebody and have a conversation, that they would walk away being built up as a man or as a woman or as a child. Um, last week, Paul challenged us to get rid of and do not allow any smelly, stinking, unwholesome word, we called it, fish mouth. I had several people, literally, I was walking around, they were like, fish mouth, fish mouth, great condemnation into the, into the body of Christ. And uh, man, it's so important. We just want to make sure that we know every person that we're speaking to. And here's the thing, guys. It could be someone who is 
entirely the antithesis of everything that you think and believe that is important. Politically, religiously, sexually, culturally, academically, all these things. And yet every conversation that you have, you are going to build that person up. Why? Because they are important to God. And so every word matters because that person actually matters. And then last week, Paul just got all up in our business and he got right to the root of things. And he says, let me tell you why you actually talk the way you talk. Because it's not what's happening around you. It's not your circumstances. You'd love to think it is, but it's not. It's actually something that happened to you a long time ago. And, and you just let it uh, fester. And the word we, we used to describe it was bitterness. And we just, we just learned, like, you just can't be a builder if you're filled with bitterness. Words were spoken over you or to you or about you a long time ago, and you became bitter. And if you want to get this right, man, you've got to get rid of bitterness. It's hard to be a builder and to be bitter. And so what do we do? Well, we forgive. We decide that that person who hurt us and wounded us in the past, now we don't owe them, we don't owe them anything anymore. They don't owe us anymore. I'm going to give somebody from my past what they do not deserve, forgiveness, so that I can give people in my present what they do deserve. Life-giving, loving, helpful, building words into their lives. And I'm actually freed up to do that. Today, I want to tell you a story. An incredible story to wrap up this series. In fact, the climax of this entire moment, there's this just incredible God moment, the fulfillment of the entire story, ends up coming to words. The whole peak of the story, what's he going to say in this moment? This is what the critical piece is. One sentence will be the make it or break it of a situation that is of the greatest, I mean, massive consequence. Literally, I'm not even exaggerating. You're going to see it in a second. Global consequence. One sentence, one word out of this guy's mouth. And I believe the issue for each one of us today, I recognize that most days can be casual. And the kinds of things that we say from time to time can be a little trivial. But for every single person in this room, you've already had moments like this in your life and you will have more. Moments of greater weight come into your life. And in those moments, the question is, what will you say? It's not a casual conversation. It's not inconsequential. It's not some trivial little thing that you're doing. You're saying something and the next thing that comes out of your mouth is going to be significant to your life and to the people who are a part of your life that you know and that you love. What are you going to say when those moments come? And they will come. And we want to be prepared for that. So here's what I want to do right now by way of kind of uh, touching base on this. I want to give you just a, a, a little tiny bit of Old Testament genealogy. And we're going to look at Abraham, who had a son called Isaac, who had a son called Jacob, and eventually had a son called uh, Joseph. And actually, this is the kind of a perfect little caveat for, for me, because we finished today's series. Next week, we're going to st start a brand new three-week series called Legacy. And actually, we're going to look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we're going to look at their lives. And as important as these last four weeks have been, I think formative to how we speak in terms of our career, professions, parenting, marriage, friendships, all of those pieces... This next one, I mean, it's just equally so, simply for this reason, because God has called everyone in this room to leave an indelible mark because you lived and breathed here on this planet Earth. For parents with children, this is critical stuff. Grandparents, even if you don't have children today, if you're single, 
or you're not at that stage of life, this is critical because the Word of God is nudging every single one of us to mentor and invest and disciple and to leave a legacy. Some of you today are at the latter years of your life and you look back and you say, man, that was a dismal failure. I haven't left the legacy If I could go back in time, I wish I could do it differently. And here's what I would say to you today. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? There's more time and there's more work to be done. And that's kind of where we're going to be pushing in. Others of you today, you're you're young and and maybe you you haven't gone on in life and maybe married or kids or whatever those circumstances are. And I would say "This this is pivotal stuff for you. You're going to want to be around us. So... We'll start that next week, three-week series, Legacy. For now, here, I want to look at this first person in the genealogy. And the first gentleman is Abraham. Now, here's the key thing about Abraham. And this is why I say it has global consequence. Abraham had a a promise from God. I mean, this is like a pillar of the Old Testament. God said, through you, Abraham, through your family, through your lineage, I am going to make a covenant, unbreakable promise from the King of Kings. And it will be this, your offspring is going to give birth to a nation that will outnumber the stars in the sky. And from that nation, salvation is going to come to planet earth. Abraham is blown away. As an elderly, I mean elderly, elderly man, very old man, he has a kid. And that's Isaac. So you're looking at this thing going, well, hasn't really exploded quite yet, has it? He lives his life. And he is a child, and that's a fellow called Jacob. Again, you wouldn't say that we're into the multitudes of people yet. But then Jacob, he has a few kids. And so we see from that a gentleman by the name of Joseph. In fact, this is the birth of what is known as the 12 tribes of Israel. This is God fulfilling his covenant And through this genealogy, we actually have the Messiah being born. Salvation coming to the earth. God fulfilling his covenant, saying that what what I'm going to do is what I'm going to do. And I will do it. Now, you see the character off here on the right? That's Joseph. So he's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was the favorite son of Jacob. And the simple reason why is because Jacob actually had more than one wife. He had a favorite wife, and her name was Rebekah. And so... Just already great learnings here on this one. Men, if you want to write this down, men, do not have a favorite wife, okay? It's not going to go well for you. You can write it down if you like, but he did. And actually, after Joseph, you see one other little stick figure there, and that's her. That's the final child that came from, from his favorite wife, Rebecca, and that was Benjamin, and sadly, she actually, uh, she actually died during childbirth. And so we come into a situation where Jacob is actually mourning And Joseph all the more just becomes, and that was the son that my favorite wife, Rebecca, had. And he's my favorite. Gives him this coat of many colors. Perhaps you've heard of that before. And he's the favorite. One day, here's what happens in the story. Jacob says, Joseph, I want you to head out. I want you to check on your 10 brothers, okay? Benjamin's just a baby. And check on your 10 brothers. Now, Joseph hated to do this. Why? Because his brothers hated him for obvious reasons. Because it was unbelievable favoritism towards Joseph, one of these boys. They just hated the guy. So he's got to go check on them. And he's like, man, I don't want to do this. And they see him coming. And actually a point in their lives where they are like, man, we, we've had enough of Joseph, the favorite boy. We are sick and tired of this. They grab him. They assault him. And they chuck him down into this huge pit. And they're going to kill him. Here's what it looks like. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. So Jacob 
uh, excuse me, Joseph is sitting in his pit. He's probably terrified because he knows how much they hate him. Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brothers and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. And this is so nice of them. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So they pull him out of the pit. They tie him up. They sell their own brother to slave traders. So they were going to kill him. But basically, they stopped to have lunch beforehand. Ishmaelites roll into town. So these guys are fairly calloused, a little sociopathic, and there's a little bit of that going on as well in the family. So he gets sold into slavery. He's 17 years of age. He's now a slave. He has no idea what's going to happen to him. They wave goodbye. We will never, ever see this lousy brother that we hate ever again, right? We shall see. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. So this is where he lands. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. It's a big deal. He was captain of the guard. He bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And then perhaps I think the strangest part in the story. In fact, it's repeated throughout the story again and again. It's almost like the macro theme to this entire story. Here it is. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Now, wait a second. No, that doesn't make any sense. If the Lord was with Joseph, surely he'd be home with his dad. And it would be the 10 sociopathic brothers who would have been sold into slavery, right? If God is really with somebody, don't nice things happen to those people? But we're going to see this theme again and again in the story. No matter what happens to Joseph, and you're going to see Joseph's life is not a pretty little life. But no matter what, it's like he's already made up his mind. He has decided, I'm going to live my life like God is with me, even when it seems like he's not with me at all. He's already made his mind up on this. Now, eventually, Potiphar notices Joseph, because Joseph is one smart boy. He is a very talented guy. So years go by, Joseph learns Egyptian, he learns the language, Joseph does really well, he's given more responsibility, and then more years go by, and eventually Joseph gets a major promotion, and he actually becomes the manager of Potiphar's entire household. Unfortunately for Joseph, he wasn't the only one who noticed him. Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. It wasn't a request, and Joseph did not have a choice. Slave... I require your presence. Slave, you're going to sleep with me. I own you. I'm commanding you. And probably for the first time in her pretty little life, she got a great big fat no. He wouldn't do it. Joseph tells her, I can't do that. I have charge of everything in this household except for you. I cannot do this. And then secondly, he says this, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now again, how does Joseph even say that? How does he even think that? Joseph, do you mean the God who's done nothing for you lately? You mean the God who watched you as your sociopathic brothers sold you into slavery? To who knows what? The God who has not rescued you? This is the God that you're continuing to be faithful to. Now this has to be incredibly offensive to Potiphar's wife. He is now also, in his words, accusing her of sin. And this goes on day after day. She's chasing after him. 
She's commanding him and she keeps saying, and he keeps saying, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. Finally, she gets fed up with Joseph. She's had enough of it. And so what's she do? She turns around and she actually accuses him of raping her. Now, when Potiphar finds out about this accusation, there's nothing he can do. He has no choice. And so Joseph's life goes from bad to worse and he ends up in a dungeon. And again, it brings us back to this ridiculous, crazy theme. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. No. If the Lord was with you, then you're not in prison, right? You don't go to prison. Aren't good things supposed to happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people? Isn't that the way things are supposed to be? Look what it says. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Again, who wants favor in the eyes of a prison warden? If you know a prison warden, things probably aren't going very well for you in life. This is not good. Hey, God, thanks for the new buddy, the prison warden. I'm working for him now. Joseph, he's got some skills. He's got mad skills. And eventually, more time goes by. And because he's so talented, so intelligent, he's actually running the place. He becomes basically the administrative assistant to the prison guard. You got to know this, though. It's not fun. He didn't have a corner office with windows with feet up on the table and a cup of coffee. In all likelihood, this dungeon was underground, and Joseph probably never saw the sun. So the story goes on. More years pass by. And then two very prominent people come down into the dungeon. They're in trouble. They actually are Pharaoh's own butler and Pharaoh's own baker. And they meet Joseph, and then more time, more years go by, and more years. One day, Joseph is talking to these two guys, and he's like, hey, butler, baker, what's up? You guys don't seem yourselves. And they're like, yeah, we had this dream. It's really affected us. It doesn't seem like a normal dream. We think it might mean something, but we don't understand what this, mean, what this dream means. And Joseph's like, actually, I've got some skills with dreams. And he does. He's like, I can interpret dreams. Why don't you tell me the dream? Give me a shot, and I'll see if I can tell you what, it's, what it means. So the butler tells him the dream. And Joseph says, I, I know what this means. In three days' time, butler, you are going to be raised up. And once more, it's going to be actually Pharaoh's birthday. He's going to remember you. And he's going to bring you back into his household. He's going to promote you back to being his butler and his wine, ta- his wine taster. And you're actually going to be free. And of course, the butler is like thrilled. This is incredible. And Joseph's like, hey, but would you remember me? When, you, when you're freed, I want you to remember me that I interpreted this dream and let everybody know that I shouldn't be here, that I was sold into slavery and I was kidnapped and I was falsely accused of raping someone that I never did and I really don't deserve here and I, to be here and I've been here for years. Tell them. And the butler's like, I, I got you, man. This is going to be good. I'll remember you. No problem. Well, the baker's like, this is going great. I'm going to tell him my dream. We've got all kinds of good news here. So he tells him his dream, and Joseph's like, yeah, I have an interpretation for your dream too. He says, you're going to be lifted up as well, but sadly, it's actually going to be your head's going to be lifted up off your body. You're going to be decapitated, and then you're going to be impaled, and the birds are going to come, and they're going to eat your flesh. The baker's like, wow. I don't know if I were Joseph, I might be like, 
you know, I'm not too sure about this one. Why don't we just wait a few days and see what happens, you know? No, he tells him what's going to happen. And sure enough, Joseph is spot on. The baker is beheaded and impaled, and the butler is set free and restored. Now imagine Joseph. He's just like, maybe this is the day I'll be freed, right? The butler's going to tell. And a day goes by, and he's like, surely this is the day that I'm going to be set free. And then two days, and three days, and a week, and a month, and nobody is coming for Joseph. And as far as Joseph knows, years and years and years continue to pass by. And maybe this is you here today, because as far as he knows, nothing's ever going to change. This is his lot in life, and this is the way it will always be, forever and forever. It'll never change. It'll always be this miserable and awful for Joseph. But day after day, Unbelievably, he continues to live like God's right there with him in a dungeon. Now Joseph is 30 years of age. And unbelievably, you'll never believe who has dreams. The main man himself, the Pharaoh. And he calls in all the wise people and the counselors and the court magicians. and, And nobody knows what it means. And guess what the butler remembers? I know a guy. I know a guy in the dungeon, and I had a dream, and he can t- and he could tell you what this means. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he be- he came before Pharaoh. I mean, this is shocking stuff for Joseph. Who wants to see me? Pharaoh wants to see me? Yep, get in here, get you washed, get you cleaned, get you perfumed, get you shaved, get you new clothes on you. I mean, he's just, he's looking at the sunlight for the first time. Yeah, we got to teach you etiquette. When you walk in here, you bow and then you don't stand so close and then you get down on your knees. I mean, it's shocking stuff. Pharaoh wants to talk to me. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and nobody can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And what happens next is unbelievably courageous. This is Joseph's big chance. Talking to someone, I mean, like most powerful person on the planet. Before Pharaoh even tells Joseph the dream, this slave, nobody, foreigner, for whom, by all appearances, God seems to have done nothing, says to the most powerful person on the planet, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. That's not the right answer. The butler's thinking, I'm going back to prison. This is not going to go well for me. I told Pharaoh he could do it, and he's like, I can't do it. He says, I can't do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, here's the problem with that answer. What does Pharaoh think he is? Pharaoh thinks he's God. So Joseph's like, all right, I know you think you're God, but here's what you are. You might be some, like you're just a little G God. But I know a big G God, and he can answer your request. So this prisoner, this slave, this nobody foreigner says, I can tell you what it means. Pharaoh places his offense aside because he's desperate to know. And Joseph interprets the dream. Here's the interpretation. Seven years, it's going to be the gravy train. I mean, Egypt is just going to go up and to the right. Major production. You're going to be swimming in grain. It's going to be incredible. After seven years, it's going to be the complete opposite. You're going to have a horrendous famine. And so it's going to be so bad that everyone's going to even forget about the seven amazing years of prosperity. 
So that's it. Seven great years, seven horrible years. That's when Joseph probably should have stopped talking, but he didn't. And now he does the unthinkable. Joseph starts to give Pharaoh advice. Hey, Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. Nobody talks to Pharaoh like that. During the years of plenty, you need to designate certain cities as country granaries. Build massive storage facilities. And I want you to tax the people at 20% on their grain. So for seven years, you're going to store 20% of the grain in these huge silos in these massive cities dotted all around Egypt. And this tax is not going to be paid to Egypt. It's going to be paid to you personally as Pharaoh. You're going to get 20% of all the grain in all of Egypt for seven years in a row. Pharaoh is loving this so far. Then after seven years, when this famine hits, here's what you need to do. At just the right time, you're going to need somebody who's going to pay attention to this. You're going to need to open up those cities, and you're going to open up those silos, and you're going to sell all that grain to the people, and they're going to come flocking with their money. It's going to be huge. People are going to come from everywhere. People are going to even come from other countries, and you're going to need somebody who's going to be able to be in charge of all of this, somebody who's got an eye on this, someone who can manage this, someone who can lead this huge project for the nation. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. Wow. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. No one can believe this. Can you imagine if you worked your way through the ranks for years? You're like, who is this guy? He's out of prison like 30 minutes. And he's basically now the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. Nobody could have possibly put all of these pieces together. Nobody could have manipulated these circumstances. He was being trained in Potiphar's household. But he didn't know he was being trained. He was being trained in the dungeon. But he didn't know he was being trained. And now Joseph does it. He chooses the city. He builds the silos. He sets up the taxes. He stores the grain. And when the famine comes and everybody forgets about the good years of plenty, at just the right time, they all flood in to spend their money. And the famine reaches all the way back to where Joseph came from, his home country. And then his family, you remember these delightful sociopathic brothers of his, they begin to feel the pain. This is almost funny how his dad is talking to them. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. This is dad saying, boys, get it in gear. Come on, we're going to starve to death, so let's go load up the lads. Let's get down to Egypt, and guys, the stage is set. It's been years in the making, but here we come to this crescendo of a moment that nobody could have orchestrated, except for God in his covenant over the generations. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all of its people. 
So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognizes them, but he pretended to be a stranger. And you know why they didn't recognize him? Because he walked like an Egyptian. I'm so sorry. It, it was right there. It was right there. <laughs> The last, the last time they saw him, he was a scrawny little teenager speaking a different language. I mean, he looked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. And as far as they're concerned, they probably thought the guy was dead. And now they're looking at the second most powerful person on the planet. There's no way it's going to even enter their mind that that's their little brother, Joseph. No way. Here's the question. What do you do? When you've got the power and when your words determine the destiny of your enemy. These are the weighty, significant moments in our lives when the next thing out of your mouth, man, it matters. It's significant. It will affect you. It will affect the people that you know and love. Sometimes the people that you don't like. And the answer to that question depends on what you do with your bitterness and what you do with your anger, if you're still dragging that junk around, when that moment happens in your life, here's what's going to happen to you. You will become like the people you don't even like. And as they bowed before him, don't tell me that Joseph didn't remember slavery. Don't tell me that Joseph didn't remember the dungeon and, the, and prison and not even being able to see the sun shine. Don't tell me that he didn't forget the times when he prayed prayers. How many times have you prayed prayers and it just seems like, man, God, you're not answering my prayers. Where are you, God? Don't tell me that he didn't remember standing on an auction block naked, not knowing where his life was going to go or losing his father or the accusations from Potiphar's wife. Don't tell me that he didn't remember all of that. And the people who are responsible for all of that are bowing down in front of him right now. The next three chapters, he toys with them. He's just playing with them. I think you're spies. I mean, they're terrified of this guy. No, we're not spies. We're not spies. We promise. Is this all of your family? No, we have, a, we have a younger brother, Benjamin. All right, go get him. But you guys stay here. You're my hostages. They're like, why are we getting all this attention? People are coming from everywhere. But he's given these guys a whole lot of attention. For several months, there's this back and forth and back and forth. And he's testing them and he's probing them. And he's probably dealing with, I think, tons of his own emotions. He's got all of this power and clout. What is he going to do? What will be the words that come out of his mouth? Finally, they're back in Egypt. And then he does something. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all of his, his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. Now they're alone in this room with this guy. Why is he singling us out? Why is he doing all this to us? Why all this interaction? I mean, they are petrified. One word and they're impaled, every one of them. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And they wetteth themselves. All right, that's not in the Bible. I'm totally joking. <laughs> they expected him to do to them what they, had, what they had done to him. One word, ten stakes in the courtyard, and they would have been impaled. And here's what he says. 
is my father still living? His brothers were unable to answer him because they were so terrified at his presence. They were remembering what they did. But they didn't need to be terrified in his presence because Joseph had lived through all of that nasty misery as though God were with him every moment, even though it felt that God had abandoned him. And he was able to keep bitterness at bay. What Joseph could not have known is that God's plan for the globe, for mankind, salvation through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the 12 tribes of Israel and the birth of a nation and the coming of a Messiah called Jesus Christ was hanging. It was dangling right there. He could have annihilated the whole plan, all of God's covenant, hanging by a thread. Who now Joseph would do for his brothers exactly what Jesus Christ did for us? Because he didn't carry around a bag of bitterness. He didn't carry around a sack of anger even though he had every reason in the world to do that. He embraces them. Get dad. Get all of your families, your wives, your children. Here's all the grain you could ever need. And I'm going to give you an armed escort. Bring everybody back here. I will care for all of you for the rest of your lives. And then he does. And then time goes by. And eventually, Jacob, Joseph's father, he passes away. He dies. And now the brothers are like, oh, he's probably just waiting for this moment when dad's gone. And now he's going to really give it to us. But that's not the case. His brothers came out. This is right after their father dies. They threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You will never experience the good that comes from the bad until you recognize that God was with you in the bad. And then when things are good, don't play God. And that affects the words you speak when you have all the power and when the tables are turned. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. One day, maybe one day soon, maybe today, you will have the power over a person who hurt you. Who's ruining your marriage. Or maybe who ruined your marriage. Who took from you. Who stole from your childhood. And in those moments, you will remember what they took from you and what they did to you. And in that moment, your heavenly father will invite you to remember something else. He will ask you to remember who was with you. Decision time. What will you do when you have all the power and your words determine the destiny of your enemies or your friends or your colleagues or your neighbors or your children or your spouse or your grandkids or your parents? Will you pay them back or will you use those words to pave the way forward? And your decision will be determined between what you do now and that moment that weighty moment. And my hope and my prayer is that you would take your cue from the one who gave his life to you and don't take your cue from the people who took life away from you. From the one who is with you, not from the ones who abandoned you and rejected you and hurt you. And if you do, if you would do that, in that moment, here's what will happen. You will be like your father and you will Quick to listen, 
slow to speak. For the rest of our lives, quick to listen, slow to speak. Father, thank you for sticks and stones. Thank you for these four weeks. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you teach us. Thank you how you affect our lives. Thank you that you want to transform us and you don't leave us the way we are, but you're making us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Today, we lay before you the most untamable part of our bodies and we pray, Holy Spirit, help us and empower us and equip us for self-control and the kind of fruit that would pour out of our mouth that we would not be bitter, but we would be builders. Help us for that moment when it comes in our life, when significant weighty times come and what comes out next really, really matters. And I pray that those will be the moments where life pours out of our mouths, God. Thank you for your great kindness and for your care. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Stay warm.